This show is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com. Welcome to I Shouldn't Have to Say This, the podcast where we discuss topics we believe requires critical and nuanced thinking. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at saythiscast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at saythiscast or go to saythiscast.com to hear previous episodes. Hi, people. Welcome to the show. This week is going to be short and sweet because I scribbled the outline into my tablet as I work very hard. And the message is going to be short and sweet, which is shut the... can't say it in the first two minutes of this, but just <laughs> shut up online. So... I'm so proud of you that you're remembering that rule. I remember it always. I just don't always follow it. So... I'm a uh, digital marketing professional, something which Johnner did not know, um, but I have been for years. <laughs> more, more accurately, I forgot, which is arguably worse. <laughs> which Sorry. impacted us by um, him not knowing, but mm. that's okay. And I just want to reiterate a point that I think that a lot of us already know. Engagement is a resource online. It's actually the most important resource. Everybody is looking for engagement. And every online entity wants it. And 99% of those people or uh, those uh, online entities do not give a shit if that engagement is negative because 9 out of 10, uh, the good of increased visibility will always outweigh the downside. Almost unilateral. So what do I mean there? So outrage sells. Outrage really does sell. Um, I think that a lot of the times on Twitter... We think that dunking is super fun because you take a really bad idea and then you can dunk on that bad idea. And by doing that, you tell other people that that's a bad idea and you can all like express your feelings together. But the issue is that um, at best, call outs are pretty ineffective at controlling poor or antisocial behavior. I still haven't really thought of a warranted call-out or dunking fest that has produced desirable outcomes in anybody who wasn't already really, really sympathetic to the people who were calling them out, generally speaking. And those aren't really the people that you would need to call out the most or the type of antisocial behavior that you would want to curtail the most. But I can think of a lot of people who were dunked on and gained a platform that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I can't say their names because that would really defeat the fucking purpose. I'm glad you said that. I was just about to say, well, you mean like this person? Yeah, so like there's idiot. a, yeah, so just if you're extremely online, maybe some of these monikers might mean something to you. The YouTube lesbian, the conservative YouTube lesbian, is somebody who genuinely I hadn't thought about for 10 years since I was a baby lesbian coming out and hadn't watched her content for that long um, before I realized that she was kind of weird about bi people and stopped watching her promptly. And yet, uh, right now, I mean, it died off a little bit, but there was a period of time for a couple of years where she decided to leave the left and she gained a huge platform from it. Or, or there's another tanky online 
who um for some reason every lefty streamer alive just enjoys dunking on because she's stupid and she says stupid <laughs> shit but before everybody started dunking on her she had about 2000 followers and now she's sitting at 10,000 followers which that isn't a lot but that's an 80% increase um in her follower count yep as a result of being called a dumb fuck online and that's because even if the majority of people who saw her tweets um, agreed that they were really fucking stupid because they were, giving her the increased visibility allowed everybody else who was looking and who was either ambivalent or agreed with her to find her page and to follow her on it, thus making her reach wider than it was before, which is decidedly bad. I mean, the other thing is... uh with with a wider reach and with more followers that means she has more resources which yep. means she can do it for longer like if you only have 2000 followers then you might make some money but you're not able to you might not be able to do that for your full-time job but like with an 80% increase or whatever then then yeah then you're then you're good you can do this all the time which increases the bs that these people can spew and also uh just having a lot of followers and get and even getting so she has shit engagement the person that i'm talking about and i'm sorry to keep vague posting but i have to i i would be a hypocrite if i named them she gets zero engagement except for when she tweets something stupid and somebody far more prominent than her tweets her out saying that she's a dumb fuck and inviting her on their stream to debate. Mm. And though she has low engagement otherwise, those tweets always go wide. Their their reach is really, really, really like just about several thousand times more her of her typical reach. Like she gets about 10 likes per tweet. And then she tweets something out and somebody picks it up and it gets 1500 retweets. The amount of impression she get she's getting from that is unbelievable. And the amount of engagement that she's getting for the size of her account doesn't make any fucking sense, logically <laughs> speaking. And that gives her priority in the algorithm. It's not just that the tweet will get shown to her 10K followers or whatever. Now it's getting shown to everybody who interacts with the tweet about her or interacting with a tweet about the streamer who t who tweeted the take so you're multiplying her reach over and over and over again and this is what happens every single time you do a call out post and every single time somebody well not every time you do because i'm a small twitter person so when i tweet something out it's not like millions of people yeah i'm talking about for prominent people or even just not prominent people who do go viral with something the point is that visibility is always good it's so yeah i have some apples here because i've been thinking about this a lot so The other person that I really want to talk about and I think is a really good um, example of this is the Netflix funny man who shall not be named. Oh, um, God. Yeah, the, uh, the, trans, the transphobic one. So almost a month, about a month ago at the time of recording, maybe a little bit over, a Netflix funny man released a special that for some fucking reason in the year 2021, 20, 
decided to shit mercilessly on trans people for over 40 minutes. I'm not here to argue that point. That's what fucking happened. And you can suck my dick if you disagree. Um, <laughs> I do not care. Um, and it got a massive backlash. And because of that backlash, or maybe not because of that backlash, I mean, it is a very popular funny man. That Netflix special was number one or number two on the most watched Netflix list for a really long time, about mm. a week initially. However, I feel as though the back and forth of the backlash has really led to prolonged visibility of that special and his ideas in the public eye. So. I don't have an exact timeline in front of me, but from memory, the special releases, people watch it, people react to it, and then trans people watch it too, and they levy a backlash because it was really shitty. It gets talked about. People respond to the backlash. People respond to the backlash to the backlash. And we're a month later, and this shit is still being talked about. I just did a Google for the funny man, um, and there were articles about a week ago still talking about this motherfucker. I'm sure if I went on Twitter, I could find an active thread discussing his values about this shit and whether or not the funny man is transphobic even today. So a friend of mine, uh, he, there was a disagreement in our Discord about about this, and when I was talking to him about it, he was like, well, I'm, you know, I was talking about it, but I still want to go back and rewatch it because I want to understand what's going on. And that also drives engagement. You know, like you see something, you're like, what the hell is this? You, uh, you see the backlash and the arguments online, and then you might go want to go back because you're, you, you think that critiquing things is important. So I'm going to watch it again. But that means you get enough. He gets another view. Exactly. Most people aren't going to pirate it because they already pay for Netflix. So people continue to watch it, which is literal, which is, um, you know, before I was talking about something a little bit like engagement is a little bit nebulous when you're talking about Twitter. But on Netflix, engaging with the content on Netflix is money in somebody's pocket. It's proof positive that it would make sense to pay them for another special. It's royalties. It's et cetera. And yeah. it's subscriptions, honestly. Yeah. And so you're talking about a media cavalcade that resulted in people who disagree with the message watching it, with people who agreed with it watching it, with all sorts of people talking about it into perpetuity. Now. When I think of a Netflix special from a popular comedian in the 2000s, I think of, what's the name of the not funny blonde woman? Uh, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. I think of Amy Schumer. And uh, I think of the other comedians on Netflix who do not put out transphobic screeds. And I think about the fact that their specials typically sit in the top 10 most watched somewhere near the midsection for about a week and then drop out into, into um, you know, out of the public eye. They're, it's talked about for about one news cycle. Yeah. If it's really good, then maybe two news cycles. That's, that's the way it should work. So this special, which was transphobic or not transphobic, I, again, don't care was talked about for several news cycles, like longer than almost any other comedy show in its 
tier of success. Bose, uh, whatever the fuck, never watched it. That had a little bit more power behind it. But again, it lingered in the top tens for about a week or two. Amy Bo Burnham. Sh Bo Burnham. Thank you. Amy Schumer. Top 10. Couple weeks. Maybe. Maybe. I don't remember. Funny Man in the top 10 for around a month. I think for the first time I looked at the top 10 today and I did not see him. So that's the power of talking about his idea. And I know that a lot of people will listen to this and they'll say, you know, well, people were going to listen to him anyways. I mean, this guy is a public figure. This is Netflix. People are going to watch it. Anyways, mm. the funny man's la um, lasting impact on Netflix and in the discourse has far outmatched his peers in terms of what they produce, the amount of gauge engagement it produces, and also amount the amount of backlash. And I know that a lot of people are saying, well, the backlash was bad, but spoiler alert, funny man's doing fine. He's doing great. He probably has another special secured at this point. Netflix is doing fucking fine. They don't give a shit whether that was bad engagement or good engagement because most of you fuckers only took one day off of watching Netflix, a thing that benefits them by the um, and continue to fund them because Netflix creates all sorts of shows, including shit that should never be produced and is garbage and shit that is good and progressive. Yeah. Unfortunately. But the point is that that engagement only helped the funny and it only helped the platform that published his hateful reckless garbage and that's something to remember when we talk about engagement online and dunking and the constant feedback loop that gets created when we see a back take and we respond to it because unfortunately even though it hurts to sometimes ignore shit that's very obviously bad online all you're doing is creating an increased level of visibility. So let's talk about why that. Um, so <laughs> you know, it surprises me that Netflix, well, it shouldn't surprise me that Netflix makes something like Funny Man specials, like a, a ton of Funny Man specials, like like horrible things. And they make stuff like She-Ra. Exactly. It's, it's They're going to do whatever the fuck makes the money. It's not a yeah. political organization. It's a fucking screen streaming service. Like. Amazon hosts Showtime. Showtime has the L word. Who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> they're trying to make money here, motherfuckers. What the fuck? Uh, so anyways. Um, <clears throat> uh, sorry, I got distracted. Um, I, I distracted you. It's, that's my fault. Yeah. Wait, wait, well, where are we going to go with here? So let's talk about the Netflix funny for a second. For a more concrete example. So. I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt from watching the other funny people who go on Netflix and shit out bad comedy specials that if nobody created, if there was no backlash to the initial special, which was transphobic garbage, and I'm not here to argue whether it was or wasn't, it probably would have been a fart in the breeze uh, just because of the nature of these shitty 40 minute throwaway specials. They might be funny, they might not be, but people watch them and then they forget about them. Except if there's an entire criticism feedback loop created because people looked at an obviously bad thing and started talking about it. And I know that there's an argument that people make that say, like, this guy is a popular dude. He was very popular in the, in the early aughts. And this is a public figure and a public platform and people are going to watch it either way. 
but I truly do not believe that um, the funny man would have gotten the attention that he did or the sympathy. The sympathy is really what is bad. Mm. When people started trying to say, like, this is a repeat transphobic person. This is somebody who has had every opportunity in the fucking world to learn more about these issues and just refuses to. And so, you know, I'm sure that one or two people saw people critiquing the special who either didn't have an opinion or agreed with him initially and saw the backlash and saw the criticism and said, oh, well, I guess that they're right. This guy seems really shitty. But from my perspective, I see a lot more people saying, leave him alone. He's a good man. He's funny. He's telling the truth. Insert transphobic dog whistle here. The amount of attention and people who don't focus on trans issues but started because of this garbage is really hard to um, articulate. It feels as though there are a lot of people who are ambivalent to this shit that hyper fixated on trans women just because people were calling out that this transphobic. That's always the case. And that's always the case. As I yeah. said before. When you focus on bad takes, yes, you'll get people who disagree, particularly if the person you're dumping on is a, is a 300 Twitter Andy, but or 300 follower Andy, which I am. It's not an insult. Who's Andy? But when you're talking about these larger figures, you're always going to get the defense squad. The uh, I can't say that. <laughs> you're always going to get the defense squad coming out to defend somebody really, really vehemently on these issues, which they are not going to educate themselves on. They're only now going to have a general feeling of hostility towards the trans community because they shit on a comedian that they have feelings from because his special in the 2000s were, fun were funny and he hasn't done a good thing since. And that's kind of the way that it will always go. You'll always get, you know, people... You always get a bad take. You always respond to it. Some people will agree. Some people will disagree. But then there's always going to be this glut of stupid motherfuckers who just get these reactionary gut feelings of hostility towards minority groups because of the backlash to a bigoted thing from that community. This happens again and again. I'm black. I'm queer. Uh, this happens a fuck ton to us, too. And uh, also refer back to, uh, we're, we're talking about can like canceling and everything, refer back to uh, our second episode, actually, the advocacy of outrage culture. Yeah, that's true. Those are good episodes. But generally speaking, my opinion has remained unchanged. Nobody gets canceled unless they've done something <laughs> wrong and like wrong in a really egregious way and they're going to go to prison for it. It's never worked, except to people who don't deserve it to begin with. Like, I would say the canceling of Lindsay Ellis did not work, but she sure does post less videos than she did before, and the world is in a better place for that. Yeah. So that's that's when canceling works, when you find somebody who may or may not deserve something, and you unleash hell on them, and they have a conscience, and they decide to step back. It's like when people tortured uh, Natalie Wynn for, like, a year emotionally. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and still do and she stopped releasing videos and became an alcoholic and shit like oh geez oh geez yeah so not great stuff on that front 
But for the people who are truly unapologetic in their beliefs and truly reactionary, it has never worked. Ever. Ever. Unless they went to jail. Okay. So we've become quite abstracted from the original thing I wanted to talk about, which was engagement. Right. But essentially, it goes back to this. Anytime you engage with something online, that's good. That's what people want. If you like something a lot or you dislike it, and then you say, wow, this is great. Keep it up. Or you say, wow, this is garbage. Fuck you. Most people would say that those are probably equivalent in terms of the way that people feel about it from a marketing perspective. I don't care if it's good or bad um, in most cases. If somebody is engaging in something with something, that means that it gets increased visibility. And that means that even if you hated it, somebody else will like it. It's a number. It's a matter of number case. Um, so whenever you engage in something, you're helping the person you're engaging. It doesn't matter what you're saying to them, no matter how vile <laughs> a, a soul, essentially. So that brings me to uh, kind of my prescription about all of this. I think as a general rule, we should not give engagement, which is a valuable resource under most circumstances, to things that are not good or that we don't want to support. For example, don't dunk on anti-vaxxers, just promote getting a vaccine and why you should get a vaccine. Don't talk about, don't dunk on transphobes. Promote education about why trans people are fine and great and how uh, being able to express ourselves and modify our bodies is one of the greatest things about being a human in the 21st century. As few benefits as do come from that, it feels like sometimes. In general, engaging with shit that's bad is just never a good thing. And we should develop a discipline around. And that's the episode? No. Okay. I want to talk about two more things. I'm just mad about them and I've been thinking about them. Okay. <laughs> so two more examples because I feel like talking about them. Uh, so number one, uh, NFTs aren't going anywhere. Ugh. NFTs are a thing. They're going to be a thing. Yeah. And they're really bad. And the only way it's ever going to get stopped is if we regulate the shit out of them, which they should be. Because it's trading and securities, which is something that should be regulated. So there's that. But I do want to say that I feel strongly that the rapid proliferation of NFTs in pop culture and just generally companies jumping on the train has been led primarily not by the people producing nfts because they're weird sweaty bastards selling to 15 year olds with too much money from daddy but rather from people shitting on the idea of nfts because though everybody seemingly fucking hates nfts a lot except for the extremely wealthy mm -hmm. nobody would know what they were if it wasn't for the amount of people saying that they're bad and explaining why they're bad step by step <laughs> by step, you know, I could probably like I've watched some pretty gnarly fucking videos and I could tell genre I've watched some really shitty uh, videos, but it wouldn't be as bad until I started explaining exactly what they are, because the consciousness of those videos is promoting the content within them. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Every time uh, you Yeah. I every think. time you say I hate NFTs and then you explain in a super granular way why NFTs are bad, you're also highlighting the reasons why a company might want to sell NFTs. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. I see. I mean because it yeah. is a scam and companies are trying to scam us constantly. 
that's the point of the company. I know. So whenever you talk about how bad NFTs are, you're just raising awareness of NFTs. You would be better served by stopping talking about them because buzz is always better than zero buzz. And I feel like if we had the wherewithal to not talk about this shit at all, less people would be into it today and less companies would be looking into getting into it. Uh, so that's number one. Just stop yeah. talking about NFTs. Stop fucking dunking. It's not stopping. It's not going anywhere. Just try and treat it like fucking MySpace once Facebook came out. Don't talk about it anymore. Generally speaking, the only thing worse than being bad is being unremarkable really does apply to marketing in most cases. Second of all, there is a cottage industry of videos that are um, fake how-to. So think about, you know, the videos that are like, you can make an entire cake, trace like which is cake, if you put an egg and one pound of sugar and one thimbleful of milk into a milk carton, it will turn out as a tres leches cake. You know those fake videos, like the tasty ones? Not at all. You're lucky. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry. Okay. Which is good, I guess. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> there are a lot of um, really shitty cooking videos where people do uh, sometimes just shit that would never work in a thousand years and you're going to waste ingredients if you try them. And at worst, shit that's flat out dangerous. Uh, there, There's a whole industry of videos like that. Like somebody said, tie a rope around a, a, a fucking bottle and pour gasoline on the rope and then light the rope on fire and you can cut the glass in half and use it as like a table setting or some shit. Are these videos supposed to be like comedic? Like no. They're like no, no, no. They're, they're, delivered, they're delivered with the intention of people at home doing them. So... What? People got glass blown up on them, essentially. Oh, no there are shit. also videos of people trying to use like kerosene lamps to like cook different shit or do little crafts. And there are stories about like little girls trying that shit at home and bur and like blowing the house up. Like just oh really bad shit. And these videos are bad. But the first <laughs> tier of these videos are somewhat believable. And that's what makes them really bad. Because when you promote these videos, by they're like short, shareable, and just too good to be true. So people like sharing them. And oftentimes people will share them and say, this shit would never work. But the problem is when you share the video, because it's so stupid, you can't believe that it exists, more people see it. And even if you say that it looks stupid, the algorithm that Google is working with or whatever social media pro uh, platform you're talking about, says this is a video that gets people to interact with it. It is completely ambivalent to the reason why you interacted with it. It's looking at engagement metrics only. So it starts promoting that stupid fucking video. And maybe they uh, promote that video to somebody who is stupid or somebody who is young. What's the difference? Same thing, yeah. <laughs> and those kids don't have the experience to understand why you shouldn't light something on fire with ga why you shouldn't change the temperature of anything glass rapidly from literally on fire to ice cold bath water like they don't know that that's going to explode on them oh so they God. try it and it explodes on them or you show them a video of them of like these people put fucking sugar in the lint trap of a dryer and ran the dryer 
And then they put, they cut the video and they put cotton candy in the lint trap. And they took out the lint trap and pretended like the fucking dryer made cotton candy. Oh my God. That hurts me physically. Yeah. So that that just the concept of someone actually believing that hurts me physically, like in like deep in my soul. I just. But if if only one. But so that video, nobody believes that shit. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of people do not believe that shit. But when people start sharing that video and say, can you see this shit? Can you see this stupid shit? There's no way that works. Or here's why it didn't work. Let me do this elaborate debunking while sharing the very video that I'm talking about. Um, You might eventually get to the one person who would agree with it because it's all about numbers. You can always find one dumb fuck on the planet to agree with something or to believe something. Um, That's not hard as long as you have the volume to do it. And also, if they're promoting a product it flat out doesn't matter if anybody ever tries the fucking hack. You'll only see more dumb videos if you keep promoting it because they're just looking to sell a fucking ladle. Like, <laughs> I, you're making the money every single fucking time. They're just trying to sell products, dude. Yeah. They don't care if you try the hack. <laughs> Here's how I made cotton candy in my, in, in my dryer. And this is brought to you by Manscaped. Exactly. So you're getting them engagement, which is what Manscaped wants. And uh, at worst, you're um, promoting a video which might one day end up on the feed of some small child who will then go and ruin their dryer. That is what you are doing when you engage with that video. So what is the right thing to do when you see that garbage? Well, most of the time that shit isn't TOS, unfortunately. So maybe just ignore the shit out of it. Don't even click on it. Just ignore it no view no like no dislike and sure as shit do not comment on that bullshit that's what everybody wants that's the (laughs) highest form of engagement that you can possibly get a comment is really really valuable do not give it to things that are bad even if you are saying that they are bad in the comment unless it's this video Unless it's this video, because if you think this video is bad, please comment, dislike, and let us know. Yeah, um, because you will hurt us if you do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll hurt deeply. my feelings, and I'll stop recording. I will lay down, and I will become catatonic. Yes. So I will please torch my microphone if there are if there are comments completely savaging us. This yeah. is the truth. I'll never. I'll literally never recover. Mm, yeah. But <laughs> back to the point. Um, engagement is always good it's always good even when it's bad it's good so i think that we should all if we want a better online environment than we have right now which i think that everybody unilaterally agrees on what we need to do is stop giving attention to shit that sucks we really do because it always gets more attention than the things that are good unfortunately and whenever you promote bad shit somehow even if you're saying it's bad, it has a way of becoming more popular than if you said nothing at all. So until we figure out a way to address this garbage without promoting it at the same time, or un- until algorithms are legislated or something to not promote garbage that people hate so hard, we're just going to have to ignore the shit and promote things that are better. Or And, 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 and if you must, just... On Twitter, take a picture of the thing, 
talk about it vaguely. Do not use keywords. Don't say the phrase or a close variant of the phrase. Just vague post constantly. It's irritating, but it is better, except when you're talking about people who are super popular. So I would not say ignore Donald Trump because Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America. So that is the exception to the rule or like a Dave Rubin. People that actually wield like actual power to and who would mul- people's lives. Yeah. And who would multiply massively in their size as a platform if you were to um to uh like regardless of whether you interact with them or not, because they're already privileged by the algorithm. But right. it needs to be said that there are a lot of conservative motherfuckers who who um really thrived during Gamergate. And it wasn't because the message that they were sending was really popular or anything. It's because people engaged with them constantly and said that they were dumb and bad and they were able to somehow amass the amount of people necessary in order to solidify their place in the world. Like the quartering, who is somebody who is not gone yet. The quartering would have not existed if people hadn't been like constantly dunking on his dumb ass because his content sucks and he's a hack. So... Every time you do that, you create people who are never going to squash. So just shut the fuck up online. Do talk to people in real life, but not online. That's the episode. So we were just talking about, or maybe we'll talk about later. I don't know. I record this at the end of the episode. So fuck you if I'm creating spoilers. But we talked about um, rewarding good content or things that you like to see with engagement. Um, But there's also another way that you can reward us for our hopefully good content. And that is by giving us some fucking money. (laughs) Tell them how, genre. Every time we record one of these things, I love it because you start off like, you start off like saying, you know what? You can really help the show by fucking us, by fucking paying us. (laughs) Not by fucking us. (laughs) I don't want to fuck any of you. <laughs> so you can you can you can support this show by going to <laughs> coffee.ko-fi.com slash say this cast. Uh you can um go to uh Patreon as well. We have Patreon that's patreon.com slash say this cast, of course. And there you can uh sign up for uh being a patron at one dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you'd like to do. Uh if you uh do the five dollar level, then you can hear the episode early, uh like at least a day early. If you do a ten dollars, then you can get access to our extra episodes, which we need to record a few more of, I think. Um so uh, you get access to our extra episodes of random topics or extended conversations about uh, the episode that we're recording or random things. So um, that is patreon.com slash say this cast. And the last thing you can do to help out the show is, of course, engagement, like share the share the link to the website, share the uh, video that we put on YouTube, the videos we put on YouTube, share uh, like comment and like and subscribe and all that stuff because it really helps the show and as we were saying throughout the episode if you engage with content then it goes through the algorithm and more people get to see it so if you want good quality content that is actually helpful and not making cotton candy in a dryer apparently then like and subscribe and share all of our 
various things. And thank you. Okay, so now is, as always, the time of the show where we talk about happy things and good things and stuff that is brightening our day or helping us survive this hellscape that we call uh, this timeline. So, Nicole, do you have anything this week that uh, sparks joy in your life in some degree? Okay, um, so I play an on I play a shitty mobile game. It's a gotcha. I'm sorry. I'm a degenerate. PFPs. It's um, it's real bad. Called Arknights. But I really love this game, and I have been playing it since it first released. Um, and every few months they do a uh, uh event called Contingency Contract. And Contingency Contract is one of uh the community's favorite games or game modes because it's a uh, hard. Uh, the game, generally speaking, isn't that easy. It's pretty play friendly, but um, uh, it 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 it's a uh, pretty difficult, generally speaking, and this just kind of amps up the difficulty by a lot. And the goal of it is every day to do these difficult stages where you can kind of amp up the difficulty even more and get past those things. And then there's usually a permanent stage that's really hard, where essentially you have to like figure out, you know, I need to beat this stage with all of these fucking difficulty uh, modifiers and get through it. And if you get through it on the first week, then you get a special medal. So typically, the way that I have done this historically is to watch a bunch of videos and see other people's strategies and then to apply them to my own game. And in my like worst and most degenerate moments, I just straight up follow the strategy verbatim uh, with my own units and barely change anything which doesn't feel good. And even if I get the medal, I'm just kind of like, I followed a strategy. I found a YouTuber whose name escapes me, who kind of, and he guides in order to beat it, which is seeming uh, possible, which is really exciting. Uh, so there's that. And also I hate gotchas. So I, <laughs> I feel like, like every time I talk about gotcha games on this fucking podcast, um, they're bad, but I really love Arknight. Uh, so anyways <laughs> what's making you happy genre um well uh there there are a few things that i've been going over like trying to think of like what um like little thing like uh um Aston tears of earth is a really good game uh that i've been playing uh it has uh, a really long uh play time that isn't boring and it has uh has this thing where if you finish one story then you can play another character in that was in that story like another side character and go on their little adventure throughout the throughout the same uh dungeon so that's really cool so that's aslan tears of earth i built a server last weekend we needed a new server because the last one we were using this was a computer that was like 10 years old and it was falling apart so that was really cool um but the main thing that i've been really focusing on last episode i mentioned the uh the new show that I'm trying to develop about being in chronic pain, like life with chronic pain. And I'm finally at the uh, stage where I can talk about it more openly and, and invite people to know what it is. So it's going to be called living on the pain scale. It is uh, going to be a short form series um, in seasons. Uh, and each episode, like I said, last, last time is going to focus on a different aspect of, of uh, living life with chronic pain. Now, the reason I'm 
saying this now is because part like the meat of it of each episode i want them to be different stories and voices from people that experience chronic pain in their lives so i don't want it to just be me i want it to be people that uh from different walks of life and different experiences and different different um anecdotes and stories and experience everything like that so if you and this is the thing if you have um a chronic pain condition whatever kind it could be frequent headaches could be an auto autoimmune disorder or whatever an injury that that uh that is giving you trouble like um there are many reasons that that people have a um a constant feeling of pain in their lives if you uh, would like, then it would be really cool to go to painscalepod.com and read like what I'm looking for. And if you'd like to write something uh, and uh, have a, a voice and have a platform um, to talk about like things that are going on in your life or just to explain the, um, the different aspects of being in chronic pain. That would be really great because I think this this project is going to be super special. There, are, I have a lot of plans on how to make this really, really great. But it all starts with uh, engagement. Um, <laughs> it all starts with people uh, that uh, would like to contribute. Um, so it would be really great if you uh, are one of these people or if you know someone that would like to write something. Um, it's very easy. Just go to painscalepod.com and just read what I have there and read what the show is going to be about uh, and and pass it on. And that would be huge for me right now because I need stories to make this really great. So, <laughs> um, so again, that's painscalepod.com. Be really cool if you even if you just visited there and checked it out and to see what you think so yeah um anyway uh that's it for for this episode of i shouldn't have to say this thanks everybody for listening if you want to hear more episodes or go back to our previous episodes uh which are still very very good uh then you can go to saythiscast.com uh if you uh want to follow us on twitter you can go to at say this cast and you'll be notified of uh, new episodes you can also follow us on youtube uh just uh look in the in the show notes or on the website uh that is i should have to say this on youtube and we put our our uh episodes up on there if you'd prefer to listen to our uh episodes on youtube a lot of people do um nicole where can we find you online even though you're not posting that much you can find me on Twitter at Jack of Free Trades. It's crazy the number. You can find me at Press Start Lock uh, on Twitter, and like I said before, PainScalePod.com. If you uh, would like to know more about the Chronic Pain podcast that I'm doing, living on the pain scale. Um, our theme song is called Katamari Taino, and that is by The One-Ups. If you want to uh, learn more about The One-Ups or buy their music or Mustin's music, you can go to store.mustinenterprises.com. Uh, I shouldn't have to say this is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com. This guy is a public figure. This is Netflix. People are going to watch it. Um, Nora, you can't do that. I'm recording. <laughs>
<laughs> You're not allowed to growl. Very unhappy with fl- Funny Man. Nor knows what's up. Who's out there? Is it? She's been here all day, you stupid fuck. Yawn it out. Are you done? <laughs> I think she's done. Okay. Um, 